Section one of the Shakespeare Apocrypha. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Zachary Trent. The Shakespeare Apocrypha by C.F. Tucker Brook. Section one. Preface. This volume is designed to satisfy a need which during the past two generations has been variously and often expressed. The ambition of the editor has been to provide an accurate and complete text with adequate critical and supplementary matter of all those plays which can, without entire absurdity, be included in the doubtfully Shakespearean class. A similar work, to comprise the first 13 dramas in this book, in addition to the arraignment of Paris, the death of Stuckley, and the siege of Antwerp, appears, indeed, on the list of suggested publications of the New Shakespeare Society. But it did not get beyond the stage of projection. Since the days of Malone, only three of the works before us, Arden of Feversham, The Two Noble Kinsmen, and Sir Thomas More have appeared in English-speaking countries in what can at all justly be termed independently edited texts. Tolerable versions of four others have been published by Germans in editions now practically unprocurable. As regards the other seven plays, no real attempt at purification of the text or collation of the early editions has been made, if made at all for more than two centuries, and in the case of Sir John Oldcastle, it has remained for this book to give the very first reprint of what is most unmistakably the only reliable and uncorrupted version. Thus, considerable and important passages appear here for the first time since 1600. In the preparation of the body of the text, the main object has been to give a faithful reproduction of the most authoritative edition of each play, that is, of the earliest, except in the rare instances where a later edition is demonstrably truer to the author's manuscript. Supplementary passages are printed, within brackets, from the earliest edition which contains them. Where a variant or an amendation has appeared inevitable, it has been adopted. But the reading of the editio princeps has invariably been given in the footnotes. Great pains have been taken, it is hoped with a fair measure of success, to register in the footnotes all variants in accessible 16th and 17th century editions, which are not purely orthographic, and all such later emendations and conjectures as possess any degree of usefulness or probability. Silent alteration of the original has been tolerated only in such purely mechanical matters as the abandonment of the long S, the correction of obviously unintentional misspacing, the rectifying of the most transparent typographical errors, such as flounzers for flounders and thinkest for thinkest, and the introduction of modern punctuation where the sense would otherwise be unintelligible to the ordinary reader. The old punctuation is, however, retained where possible, and all misprints which can conceivably have interest 
or significance are recorded in the footnotes. The numeration of lines is, of course, new, and it should be noted that the parts of divided metrical lines are often separately numbered for convenience of reference and in order to preserve the appearance of the original page. It is believed that the text will be found as free from inaccuracy as a reprint can well be made. Except for the few additional passages from the third quarto of Musidorus, personally copied by the editor, transcription has in no case been trusted. The texts of the six plays contained in the third Shakespeare folio and that of the first edition of Musidorus have been based on photographic facsimiles of the original quartos. The other plays are printed from the best modern old spelling editions very carefully corrected by the originals. The collation of the early editions has been done twice to ensure accuracy and the proof sheets revised by the original quartos. Particular care has been taken to verify readings which are in opposition to those recorded by other modern editors. The general notes are to be considered in connection with the footnotes. They have been kept within modest compass and their raison d'etre, the explanation or defense of the readings of the text, has perhaps not often been lost sight of. If more general comments have here and there intruded themselves, it is trusted that they will be found always to serve more legitimate purpose than the mere display of all such reading as was never read. Like so many students of Elizabethan literature, I have to acknowledge a large debt of gratitude to Mr. P.A. Daniel. My obligations to him for textual comments and conjectures, particularly relating to the Merry Devil of Edmonton and the Two Noble Kinsmen, will, I hope, be sufficiently evident from the notes to those plays. But for a great deal of other trouble willingly undertaken on my behalf, I have only this opportunity of rendering my sincere thanks. I am equally indebted to Dr. Furnival for unfailing interest and sympathy, as well as for a number of valuable suggestions for my introduction. And I gladly take this occasion of expressing also my recognition of Dr. W. Aldous Wright's courtesy to me while reading in the library of Trinity College, Cambridge, and since. Finally, it is with a special pleasure that I acknowledge my many obligations to Professor Raleigh, to whom are due both the original inspiration for this book and continued helpful encouragement during its preparation. It is my sincere hope that the volume may be regarded as a testimony and a small tribute to the force of his influence and example. January 1908, CFTB. End of section one. Read by Zachary Trent.